You are listening to the B2B Marketing Mindset with Pete Monfrey and Bill Lowell. We want to help demystify marketing to reduce risk, drive more and better opportunities and grow your business. Are you ready to master marketing? Today's yeah. topic, let's get to it because I think Good. it's a great topic. Maybe because, uh, I don't know, did I think of it? I don't. I only think my topics are great. Uh, I think good. you did think of it then. I did think of this one. Things your customer will never tell you, all right, and, and how to unlock those things. And those things are important. Why? Why are the things they don't want to tell you? We're going to talk about why they don't want to tell you, why they won't tell you, and why it's important that you need to hear those things. So why? Why don't they tell you stuff? Yeah. Well, What's I mean, their problem, a, man. Uh, there's there could be so many different reasons, but I would almost say the first one might be that have you ever asked? You know, so oh, nobody's asked. So maybe, Reason number know, one. So, so maybe it's like, oh, I didn't know you wanted to know about some of the things that were important to us as a customer. So, so that would be that would be kind of one of the reasons of you know why they don't want to say it. Sometimes, you know. They don't want to make you feel bad. So it's like maybe they're upset with you or right. maybe something's going on. And it's like, I just, uh, the person's such a nice person. I'm not going to say anything. So that could be a, that, there you go. That's, I'm done. I'm that's done. where I'm going. Go no, home. no, that's not the you're done bell. That's okay. the uh, I'm excited and I approve bell. Uh, no, okay. it's, 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 that's where I was getting at. The things that you need to hear the most are the yeah. very things they will not tell you. Because you know what? You can do your own customer. We're, we're going to talk about customer research. You could do your own customer research, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we encourage that, actually. Sit down with your customer over, if you get them kind of, get them a little drunk, maybe, over lunch, and uh, still not going to tell you, right? And I, it's just a psychological thing, I think, with people. So that's one of the big reasons uh, that they're going to tell us things that they will never tell you. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of research in the course of our job and, and it really drives, you know, it, it's so, it's, it's so, it's funny that we're, we have to explain why it's important, but we do. It drives the product development. It drives marketing, messaging. So it drives positioning. It drives sales language, even methodology in some cases. New, right? new product or new services. They'll, that you know, data. That's right. That's drives right. it. It drives our job because, we're here to lower risk for clients, right? So we yeah. we really can't skip it. But you, you own your own company. Maybe you have a really high risk uh, tolerance. And uh, oh, then sure. don't do any research because that's what you mentioned that before we came on that, you know, people don't do any and nobody asks. But, you know, I think <laughs> I mentioned something about, you know, spending 10 grand a month on paid ads to see if they'll work mm -hmm. and never asking their customers yeah you know what, what would be a good question for them you know what are the odds you would ever click on an ad on google you know exactly i mean i have uh i know this is going to go uh, against kind of some of the stuff that we're talking about with regard to social media but i have a client and he was spending about ten thousand dollars a month paying a third party to run his social media and then when we finally came in and did a little research, it was fascinating. Not one of the customers ever, first of all, they didn't even know he was on social media. And two, they didn't even, that wasn't even something that they were paying attention to. So 
you know, and that, that's, that's a lot media. of money. You know, I just it's made up that number, but it's funny. You actually have an example of that exact amount, um, well, I mean, but it's exa- not that would, uncommon. But, but I would say, you know, like, why are you doing that? Well, all my competition is doing that. Well, you know, but you, you talking to the customers or finding out from the customers, is that important to them? You know, on the other side of it, we've got somewhere social media is the only way they're going to pay attention to you. So, you know, it's it's really important to ask and find out. But, you know, you 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 asked the question, too. Why won't they tell you? I'll, I'll give you one more example and then I'll flip it back to you, Pete. But sometimes customers tell you things that are important to them. It could be telling a salesperson. It could be telling the CEO. It could be whatever. And it could be over lunch or as a beer, as you had mentioned. And yeah, and you don't listen to the customers. And so there are times when we go in and we do something, they say, I can't even believe they hired you because they've never listened to us in the past. Why are, you know, we've told them all of these things we're telling you now, maybe because wow. you know, they're spending a lot of money, maybe they'll finally listen. So, you know, so I guess the, the the caution is, and it goes back to your very first question is, you know, don't do customer research if you don't want to do anything with the results, right? So I mean, like if you learn well, some good things, you're not going to do anything. Don't do this. Don't I do think it. it's you're talking about your your personal bias will often override what people are telling you. You might and it might sound like this. I've been in this business for 30 years, right? Yeah. You know, I appreciate your your input, Mr. Client. We totally appreciate your business. But in the back of the mind, it's like, yeah, this guy doesn't know the business, right? He's a customer. He's not us right now. Um, and actually, that happens to us all the time, too, as researchers. Uh, you know, Bill really is focused on research, and I do strategy, but there's really not much of a difference between those things. Uh, if you're going to do a data-driven type of – everybody talks about being data-driven, but what we're talking about is actually how to be data-driven. So right. if, you're, if you are that and you care about that, uh, customer research, we say if there's one thing you can do, if there's just one thing, you know, let's say you just don't have the money, you don't have the time, you don't have the patience, you don't have the uh, whatever. Look, if there's just one thing you can do, do customer research. But bring someone from the outside in to do it and then do the research according to research methodology. Now, this sounds very self-serving. We're saying you need to hire us. You shouldn't do this uh, stuff on your own. That, I, I'm thinking you're sounding like a genius here, so keep going, <laughs> Pete. Folks, uh, don't try this at home. We're professionals. Um, no, it's just true. I mean, you know, look, great, because that gives them, you know, we, we I've had a job for 32 years doing this. Uh, so, but the good news is this, and we're gonna, we'll get to some more specifics here, but there's a lot of really good reasons to do this that are not just strategic, but they're pretty hardcore uh, rubber meets the road kinds of issues. Because you think about the questions your team might have that would help them close more deals, for example. There's a lot of people that aren't familiar with research or how to do it or what can be done. They, they, they never, it never even occurs to, to them that their deepest questions, the things that they believe they could never ask. Oh, my gosh, you can't ask that. Oh, yes, you can. Anything you want to know. Your customer cannot wait to tell you. It can't wait because and you, I think it was your first point. Uh, no, no one's ever asked me before. We, we've had reactions where people are like, you could, you could kind of tell, especially now in the age of Zoom, right? They sit back and they're like, why no one's ever asked me for my opinion before, you know? 
and it's a positive experience. For sure. Fear is another thing that keeps companies from doing the research because they're afraid of what they might hear. They won't want to inconvenience their customers. They feel like they're asking for something else, please. Yeah. No, your customers want you to be successful and That's no perfect. one else is asking them. I mean, they care enough about you, like you said, to want you to, you know, to be successful. And so why wouldn't they, you know, be happy to tell you? So I think, well, I think you're absolutely right. Now, the thing is, let's say you have, well, okay, lots of different kinds of research. You know, a lot, a lot of what we do are executive interviews, online focus groups, you know, what's called online primary surveys. research, where we're talking to the actual people. Right. So, but no matter what kind of research you do, there is a methodology that tries to, I say tries, tries to root out bias. I mean, yeah. I don't think because you're a human being, you can ever get rid of it entirely. Even AI is biased, you know. Someday I thought what we'd do is put AI on the screen and just ask it the questions and see what it says. <laughs> okay. And you'd be like, that's, that's like what a sixth grader would say. Uh, but very good grammar, I I'm going to give you a star for the grammar. Um, but, you know, let's uh, here, let's let me see if I'll, I'll switch to some slides here, because the, uh, the big question is, look, I talk to my customers all day long. Why would I bring in pro research? You know, they cost money. Right, Bill? I mean, yeah, these I'll guys give you are free. I'll give you I'll give you I could give you 100 examples because we've done thousands of studies, but I'll give you one that. Uh, happened just a couple of years ago. We were hired by a very, uh, about a medium-sized uh, food company, and we were going out to interview in person some of their top customers. And one, the same thing that we just talked about, oh, I didn't know that anybody, I didn't even know they existed because no one calls on us. And number two, they said, you know, geez, um, so-and-so never showed up. You know, we've had, we had appointments with some of their salespeople and they would never show up. Well, when that information got back to the, to the client, it was like, they were like freaking out you got to be kidding me. So never knew so sometimes, you know, it's like sometimes people are saying they're out making calls and they're not, you know, right. or they're not following up. So, um, and you, so that's, and the, I mean, that's this, one example. This information's hidden. Right. And so, yeah. um, you know, are you nuts? Um, so your customers are things they'll tell us things they will never tell you. Uh, so here's how you do it. Like this is what I try to explain to people about if you know if you want to do your own research or you want to have somebody other than us, somebody else, somebody do research. Anybody, please, someone do research. Um, yeah. But if you do, the way to do it is you want to have an objective third party to administer whatever form of research that is, if it's primary research. I mean, it doesn't ha hurt to have an objective third party review secondary research either, but primary crucial. Um, and so whatever it is that you're doing, uh, have a third party do it. And the reason for that is, next slide, the research can then be anonymized. And then you have to tell people it's anonymous. How do we get people to tell us things that, that they don't want to tell you? Right. We're not you, and we tell and we're them, not gonna, here's how it works. We're not going to go back and say, Eat Monfrey said this and this and this about you. I mean, we're going to say, we've heard these themes, you know? We're going to put it into overall themes versus 
somebody individually. Well, and, and a lot of people will make that mistake thinking, oh, I'm, I don't want to share because they're going to squeal on me. You know. Well, in fact, we'll come come back to that. The structure of it's super important. But but a research professional, as opposed to just any sort of consultant, right, or any sort of third party. Hey, let's get uh, let's get my cousin to do it, right? There you um, go. You want somebody who's a research analyst, obviously. I mean, when your spleen explodes, you're like, yeah. you're not asking, you know, hey, could I have a PT person, you know? Um, but no leading questions. So the questions need to be written in a certain way so that they don't bias the answer, right? When did you stop beating your wife? Yeah. Right. Um, and then... But but that yeah. you're you're absolutely right about the leading questions though. I mean that is that's a I'm real critical right. one. Because some people will ask, I'll give you a couple other thoughts. Some people will ask it and they'll even think this is a great question and I've written this as fairly as possible. And then you go and show it to somebody else. And they're going to go, oh my, that is so leading. It's it's crazy. I'll tell you another thing that goes along with that is asking two questions in one, where all of a sudden somebody says. I don't know how to answer that because for one, I feel this way for the other, I feel this way, but now you're forcing me to make a choice on it. So to your point, I mean, it's like, so that's, that's the next slide is the structure of it. The methodology, if you don't structure the information going in the way you're asking questions, how you're asking the questions, what type of question, lots of different kinds, you know, anybody that yeah. uses MailChimp nowadays knows how many different kinds of questions there are. Right. Why do you do that? Because, you, that, that allows you to correlate the data. It allows to, to find threads of consistency through the data so that you can come back. And this is my, this is my story. Uh, did one of these surveys for a great big HVAC company, millions of dollars. I think they were about a $20 million company. And so we talked to a subset of their randomly chosen, you know, anonymized customers. And because of the way that we had set this up and because we know research methodology, we were able to extract more information out of it, insight, not just information, like information by itself is not really that useful. Insight is what you're trying to get out of it. But what it meant to me is I had to sit down with one of the owners of the of the firm and say, with, with Vulcan accuracy, 68.7% of the people that we talk to use the word specifically, you're the biggest dick, or you are a dick. That's what they said. And they used that word. So that's, you know, this wasn't a huge sample either. So it's like, it's significant, right? But we're researchers, right? First of all, they'd never tell you this. Um, right. What I loved was his reaction. He, he said, well, I know that, you know. <laughs> what? So what, it, so, you know, it was really funny. But it's like, no, we, we did discover a, a big problem. And it wasn't, he's not a dick at all. But he was overburdened he's a very technical guy because the next question we ask his researchers are well if he's so terrible why do you keep working with him he's the most knowledgeable guy we know in this in this niche in this space right so we're always going to work with him oh interesting if you're not if you if you're not on your game you're not going to get that right and so what that led us to is just is okay why could this be you know uh well he was usually in the middle of a very technical task very focused and then the phone would ring, right? And he'd be interrupted. And he just doesn't do small talk. He's really busy. And people perceive that to be rude or dickish, right? Where he's really just saying, yep, what do you need? Okay, right? Well, we moved him to email. 
so that most of the way that people reach him is by email, asynchronous communication, and then recommended that he get an executive assistant. Poof, problem gone, right? Would have never, <laughs> never even thought of that. Like, it's not like we had a question. Do you think that uh, Dave is a dick? His name's yeah. not Dave. You know, we wouldn't ask that. But again, we find out information that not only they won't tell you, but that you probably never even thought of. Or we didn't think of it either. That's what I always love. I'm like, yeah, what a never. You know, and even it. even just what I call an end sweep at the end. So you've asked some good questions. You've done your follow up, just like you talked about, Pete, which is great. Kind of peeling it down a little bit more to do some more digging. But then even at the end of if it's a phone interview or if it's focus groups or whatever, you know, even at, even on an online survey, you know, what what did you come prepared to talk about today that we didn't ask you? And all of a sudden the floodgates open up because then there's all kinds of other stuff that could be brought up, but it's like, we didn't even think about that question or, you know, what else is important for us to know? You know, you give them some good broad questions at the end and people will tell you a lot more, probably will extend your interview for another hour because they'll go on and you'll have to they do more you know and you know what we'll talk to them as long as they want to talk um yeah. you know but try to make them short right you have this really super valuable time with them yep. and yep. so we want to maximize that time to get the most information and then this person that you should be working with that it's not you probably i don't know maybe you're a researcher then go for it brother still going to be yeah. biased. You, uh, you've got something on the bottom there that I just wanted to point out, which I think is a really, really good point where it says good analysts don't just deliver data, they deliver intelligence. You know, so critical. I know you probably want to mention something about that, but it's I like, was, were, were you going to go? That's out? where I was going. I was going to go say, no, that's the you, difference, right? It's like, let's say that someone knows lots of research methodology, but they don't have a lot of experience in in the specifics of B2B or service businesses or, or whatever the specialty areas are. Exactly. One of the reasons that people that do this for a living are really worth their weight in gold is we can have smaller sample sizes and we can see the trends faster right. and we've recognized the patterns before. This is how right. you can take that raw data and turn it into what's called intelligence. It's the mm -hmm. analyst in between. It is really just about making surveys and asking questions and this sort of thing. Um, so you want somebody with experience and uh, the fight bell just went off again. Um, yeah. But even, you know, with that, one of the things that is kind of sad for our industry, when I say our industry, the, the people that do research, some people do it because they love the data. You know what I mean? They're, they're so entranced in the data. It's like they don't do just what you just said. And that is step back and look at how is this going to correlate or how is this going to make sense for my business? I can't tell you how many times we've gotten hired because somebody they'll throw a pile of data on us and say some other firm did this and we have no idea what this what means to you and you make some sense out of it. I'm like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love those assignments, but it's I, I also I'm very saddened by it because I go somebody just did a terrible job with that. You know, Well, they didn't close the loop for they didn't turn it into intelligence. So I've seen it, too. Um, one of the, part of the process when we do a, an overarching marketing plan for a company is we want to look at all the plans and all the research and all the deliverables and all the things that all the marketing people did before us, if there were any. And usually there's four or five. 
And then we really deep dive into that information. And that's that's actually something we see all the time, usually very elaborate spreadsheets. I, I actually have a very elaborate spreadsheet, but it's just full of notes. But right. these are like, it was like a mathematician did yeah. something that no one can understand and presented it in a way that probably made perfect sense to him, but it had yeah. no conclusion. Uh, another right. example would be, somebody does 50 customer interviews and they deliver 50 slides with verbatim everything that 50 different people said no correlation in the data right. exactly. like, what am i supposed to do with that make a yeah. word cloud you know i mean what what is this crap and so well, it's like i say you gotta you gotta code the open-ended questions because although you gotta give them some themes you're absolutely right people don't just want to read 50 random comments that's ridiculous you know it's, you can't doesn't the human mind, it just can't make sense of it. So by correlating, you start to be able to say concrete things like 23% of the sample size prefers blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and what all of this does is just kind of reduce your risk. So let me go back to these slides here because I want to give some reasons why you, you really should do customer research in the first place. Okay. But you got, what do, we, what do you got? No, I, I, love, I love your comment about reducing risk because... To me, that, isn't that what it's all? I mean, I always ask my customers, I always say, what is the cost of making a bad decision? And they're right. look, looking at me like I'm nuts. But technically, isn't that what good research will help? And so whether you're doing a marketing plan or you're doing your strategic planning, right. getting good information is going to help drive those decisions and reduce your risk. You know? Well, and, you know, it was so refreshing. We just talked to a startup company, a funded startup that is is got the right idea. They're planning on launching a, an educational content strategy. And one guy that knows what he's talking about said, hold up. Let's ask our customers what's relevant to them, what kind of information they need, what do they not understand that we can help them understand. I'm like, <laughs> that was kind of refreshing, actually. It's like, so I don't have to explain all this to you. Um, yeah. I sound so condescending, but but well, trust me, I, know, I am. So that's well, you know, the sad thing is we've been in the business for a long time. And so. It's jaded. It's condescension disguised as jaded or the other way around. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But listen, we've got some some more bullets uh, because people love bullets. I can't I can't say it enough. They love these bullets. Um, so lower risk. That is the first bullet. So and we're talking about directly asking people from the horse's mouth, as they would say. And, and I made a little note there. Get it wrong at your own risk. Uh, do whatever you want. We don't. It's OK with us. Could do whatever. One of want. the one of the things with the lowering the risk, which you know I know you do, is like how does this translate to like you said to their to their marketing efforts or whatever the case is. You can go on and spend all kinds of money doing like I talked about with that one client and all that social media that the their customers didn't even care. But maybe you can maybe you can pinpoint that money elsewhere that's going to be so much more effective for you. But that's kind of what we're talking about with lowering the risk too we did you know, that for for an entertainment property where we asked the audience uh about their social media where do you spend the most time which platform uh in in any given week do you spend where do you spend the most time we these are all business people right we're in the office like high five and be like yeah it's going to be linkedin we know it is because we know everything <laughs> right because we're experts no it was instagram <laughs> instagram Seriously, by a big margin. Uh, and well, so it's like we were completely wrong. Uh, but that's why we do research. We found out it was Instagram. Um, 
So who was it? Was it John Gotti or was it Dillinger? They said, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is, right? <laughs> so you have all these answers you're trying to, you're these, these questions you're struggling to find the answers to. Like, why do they choose one option over a different option? What's the criteria? How is it ranked? Don't ask them like, hey, if we were in a bar, uh, what kind of drink would you buy us? I had a client that wanted me to ask those, these types of questions. If we were a tree, what kind of tree would we be? I got fired from the assignment because I'm like, yeah, I'm not uh, wasting your client's time with those stupid questions. In fact, next week's episode is, what, what did we decide it was? Stupid marketing. Stupid in marketing, yeah. Stupid marketing was, are we going to add? You know, I like the title stupider marketing. <laughs> this marketing is stupider. How about dumb marketing ideas? Just stupid marketing ideas. We're going to cover that yeah. next week. But so why do you rob the banks? Because customers have all the answers. Uh, so all the ones that you think you can't ask, the things you can't possibly know, all of those things are there for the taking. Uh, customers love it. No one else is asking them, right? Competitive advantage, right? Your, your, your competitors aren't calling them. The other thing that I love, and nobody ever thinks of this, well, probably researchers do. Customers give you competitive information like crazy. So there's really oh, this man. Venn diagram of overlap between competitive intelligence and customer intelligence, right? It's like you will learn things that are, I actually think it's more valuable coming from the customers. You know, that's two points on that competitive information. Everybody thinks that can I, if I'm doing a study, you know, if I do a customer study, oh, I can't ask competitive information. That would be a separate type of study, competitive. That you can ask about the competition in a customer study and you exactly. can ask, how do we stack up? You know, how, are, how do they do this? And then how do we stack up? I mean, you could get some great information over that and then you so, can track it even over time. So do it the next year or the year after and you can see, are we improving right. or aren't we, you know? It's not a one-time thing if you really want to do it right and you want to reduce your risk significantly. It's an ongoing thing, but... I don't know if I learned this from you, but we would, you know, these fluffy surveys that people hate, we're asking things like, how do you choose, what's the criteria to choose one blah, blah type, you know, company over blah, blah, other option. Right. So then you have the criteria. Now rank the criteria. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we compare on that same ranked uh, exactly. criteria than our competitors? That's some useful information, people. Um, it's, so it's scary. That's right. I, I think you may have. I just remember we've been asking those specific three or four questions for years. Um, and then this allows you to make data driven decisions. So, you know, if you can do only one thing, what's the takeaway today? I think we try to, by the way, we try to make this thing go about half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, although we could do whatever we want. Um, <laughs> I was thinking no pants Friday might be a good thing, but I, that's just my opinion. Um, but yeah. if you can we're own, now you know, down to one viewer that's right <laughs> maybe well, this two is the one. end that's right it. we we don't there has to be a stunt at the end because we didn't do any evidence-based research on this and people just don't care if you're in your tuned out that. man uh we will talk about the strategy behind this thing at some point but it's uh it's really this if you're thinking about doing a podcast reach out to us we'll share our experience with you on how how well this podcast has treated us. Bill here is kind of the new guy. 
Amazing. but I'm really enjoying hanging out with him. He's a good old, uh, friend for a long, long time. And one of the smartest people I know, uh, business development directives, bddonline.com. We're going to put some links down in the comments. But, you know, we're here every Thursday, 11 o'clock Central. So if you can only do one thing, do research. I mean, it's, it's the most valuable thing you can do. And uh, so there it is. Let's go back you know, to our... And- uh, one, you know, you've talked about this so many times with your customers. I've heard you tell the stories, but, you know, even by doing some customer research, your customers, it's a positive PR move for you because all of a sudden they're thinking, oh my gosh, no one ever does this. Or, you know, I was never asked to do this. And now all of a sudden you really look good to the customer or it's like, oh, they really do care enough to they ask care us about what us. we think. That's right. It's, it's so. amazing that... Companies don't just do this as a default when they start doing marketing things. They just really assume that they know the business, they know the customers, um, and you know the, the. By the way, the market changes. Everything oh. has changed in the last three years. So what you oh. think you know uh, ain't necessarily so. Um, things change. Your business changes. Can I, can I give you a quick example? Please can I give do. you a quick example? So we do a, a survey for a large healthcare group. And year to year, uh, they do it once a year. And so we track the trends, et cetera, et cetera. But in the past, the number one method for their patients to be able to communicate was always email. And especially for those 20 to 30 category, because we'd break it by age and we'd do a lot of other different things. Fascinating. This year, for the very first time, the number one way is phone, which I was like, hmm. unbelievable. I mean, that totally changed for that age group. You know, it's like that. I mean, because before it was texting, it was even it's like that's a total change. But it's like if somebody wasn't on top of that trend, you know, you'd have they're never not known. Gonna know, they're not going to get these people. Spent a lot more money on email infrastructure. Um, exactly. And so, I mean, I love it. That's it's it's probably my favorite part of the the overall planning process. You know, so our planning process has three main research components. We t- we talk to your customers. Uh, we do competitive intelligence because we need to understand what your how your competitors are weak and how we can ex- exploit that. And then, oftentimes, there's some issues in in terms of what we call secondary industry. Um, information. Uh, I find less and less of that. Clients really are up to speed usually on their industry most of the time. It's just that they haven't really looked at their competitors for a while, if ever. Uh, Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have never done any kind of... Now, they might have done a customer satisfaction survey. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm not a big fan of customer satisfaction just because I'm not saying you shouldn't do them. There is a purpose for them, but I'm saying that a satisfied customer will still buy from someone else. So why do I care how satisfied you are? I, I don't know if I agree with that. I didn't think you would. Okay. <laughs> why? Tell me and, why. And that's and we'll we'll talk about that in a in a future no. podcast. But I would I would you know because you're going to talk about the the MPS scores and some of the other stuff. But I don't know somebody who's very satisfied and their loyalty is high. And they're referred to on the NPS score as a promoter. They're out singing your praises. They're not going somewhere else. They're just not. Oh, know? I hope not. But it's it's but, we've I guess we over the years what we've done is we've looked at our uh, what most clients expect from us uh, in yeah. terms of objectives, and we really want to get them chosen 
we want them to get more than their fair share of deals. So a lot of our studying has to do with buying behavior, buyer's yeah. journey, perception is a big one. Right. I love right. to ask questions about nomenclature, like what words do you use um, to describe ABC company? Or if you were to describe ABC company to a colleague, what would that sound like? And then just mm -hmm. be quiet and let them talk. And of course, we I don't know if you do this, but I can type faster than anyone can talk. Although I can talk pretty fast. Um, but usually I can pretty much verbatim transcribe what they're saying. Now, normally the, what we do is we record it and then we have it transcribed, right? There's things, but a lot of times my notes are as good as I need because I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll bring those notes right back to you. Um, yeah. But anyway, well, I hope you do your customer gift. research, people. You've been listening to the B2B Marketing Mindset with Pete Monfrey and Bill Lowell. Add to the conversation by commenting, sharing, and liking. And don't forget to subscribe and check out the links in the comments. Learn more at b2bmarketingmindset.com.